I like nice things. Actually, can I just pause for a second? Tim, could someone close the door uh, upstairs? You know what happens is the sound comes out of the lobby, straight through that door, and right here. And, and, and I have an attention span of a gnat um, when stuff's going on like that, and all of a sudden you'll be getting, I don't know what kind of heresy you might end up with. Um, uh, I, I like nice stuff. Like nice things, like right. We, I mean, we so we we live really well here in the country in which we live. I mean, this is one of the wealthiest nations of the world, um, and and we tend to live well. And and, and when I'm being honest, I, I say, and I like nice stuff. Like I, I like good food, and, and and I like I like going on nice vacations. I've had a couple, few, you know. Um, I like it when my car starts in the morning. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, like it's almost like I, an, an entitlement, you know, that I feel like my, my car ought to work. Um, uh, you know, we live in a beautiful home. Um, we, and I have to recognize in myself also that I could very easily become a full-on hedonist like loving things accumulating stuff value valuing things to the to the to the to the to the degree that I really just become a materialist like that's really what my life could easily become about and I don't know if you've ever if you've ever caught that propensity that disposition in yourself where we would say, I could easily just become about bigger and better, nicer, uh, newer. And you know what? If we would fit in quite comfortably in the world in which we live if that became our orientation, right? You know, I mean, how nice would it be to have the luxury car and the, the, the big opulent house and the second property on a lake someplace with all the water toys that you can imagine, you know, and the, the, the condo on the slopes and the sailboat in the Mediterranean, and I can dream big. Yeah, there's no problem there. You know, all of the, all of the extras that we really, that we would really love to treat ourselves to, and the world would look on and they would say, good on you. Well done, clearly a successful person you are. Except for those who are jealous of all the stuff you've got, you know? I mean, that's the other side of it. Um, but when we live in such a success-driven world, where materialism is, is frankly celebrated around us, it means we have to take some extra care when we come to a biblical word like blessing because we have the tendency to read into it from our culture. And so what we're doing this month is we're looking at that word and attempting to more accurately understand it from a biblical perspective. What did the biblical writers mean when they used that word? And most importantly, what did God mean when he used that word? And can we even partially strip away, pull aside the cultural lenses that we use when we read scripture, when we interact with, in order to, in order to be careful, in order to be careful with a word which 
in our society and our culture has actually become extremely loaded and has gone in all kinds of screwy directions. When God speaks his promise to bless us, what does that mean? Can we set our anticipations accurately according to his expectations? We're working on that. That's the most I can promise this morning is we'll work on this together. Now, let me set a little bit of context for our conversation this morning. Um, We've been in the the book of Deuteronomy last week, this week. Uh, We spent some time there over the course of the past year. And the book of Deuteronomy is the set of of three sermons that Moses preached at the end of his life to the children of Israel as they stood on the verge of the promised land. I got my little map up here. Um, They were on the plains of Moab, uh, which are up here. There's the nation of Moab, plains of Moab, right up in this area here, on the north, south, east, the west side of the, uh, of the Jordan River. There's a Jordan River right there. Preparing to go into the land of Canaan. There's Jerusalem. Uh, going into the land of Canaan in order to possess it. They'd spent... So the first sermon was Moses kind of reminding them of where the generation before had been. Um, where their parents had been. They'd come out of Egypt, uh, they'd come to Mount Horeb, uh, and and there they had rejected God's plan, and a journey that should have taken them 11 days to go up into the land ended up taking them 40 years as they wandered around and a generation of fighting men died off. Sad story, reminds them of that. Second sermon is kind of the long one. I've I've suggested that maybe it was kind of a weekend retreat. I mean, I don't really know what it looked like, like how it came down, but I suspect the worship band was there playing all the top 40 uh, psalms for them, and they rocked out to the tunes of their generation over the course of a weekend, because this is a long sermon. It's at least four or five of kind of what we would consider to be a sermons. Um, somehow, I don't know what it looked like, but somehow Moses spoke this truth, end of his life, to all of these people gathered for, for this conference on the plains of Moab, and, and in it, he reminded them of what the previous generation had received in the Ten Commandments. Um, and Effectively, this kind of long sermon is an unpacking of each of those Ten Commandments. Uh, The first three of which talked about God's right to be worshipped and represented rightly. Uh, The second, the next seven being those that speak about our our human responsibility to interact with one another in 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 an honest, integral way. And these Ten Commandments, as he unpacked them, uh, they... They were intended to coach them, instruct them, concerning how it would be that they would live successfully in this land. How is it that they would live the blessed life as the people of God, experiencing all of his provision and and blessing um, in this land? Deuteronomy chapter 29 marks kind of the beginning of, of the third sermon. Don't know, again, how this shook down, exactly how it was delivered. Was that the next weekend when they gathered? We don't know. Um, but, but it begins kind of this final sermon. The, the, chapter 29 kind of is this introduction. Um, uh, and then chapter 30, I'm going to read a little bit of that for you today. But, but the idea behind this, this set of sermons was... To coach the children of Israel concerning codes of conduct and expectations of behavior that were going to lead them to prosperity. We're going to allow God to be for them rather than against them. 
Because as you get to the end of the, the, that middle, long sermon, Moses talks about these extraordinary blessings that God wants to pour out on them and warns them that there are curses if they were to walk against them. So it's, it's God for us or it's God working against us. And the call is that they would choose. That they would choose. God's ambition in this was that in their living out a faithfulness to the covenant that they had engaged in with God, that God had initiated with them, in living this out, they would be distinct among the peoples of the world. And their witness would be meaningful as they waited for God's provision of the Messiah. They would have They would have a meaningful witness in the world, calling others to attend to God. So this morning, we're kind of looking at the beginning of this third sermon that Moses delivered. And really, the big idea this morning is this. The people of God are invited to live the good life. That's really what he's talking about, Um, which poses kind of two questions for us. Number one is, well, what is the good life that Moses is describing And then secondly, how do we experience it across the divide of time and history as we, as New Covenant people today, um, look back at these pages and say, well, how, what does this mean for us? What does the good life mean for us today? That's the outline. It's in your bulletin. If you want to pull it out and follow along, you'd be welcome to do so. Maybe make a couple of notes. Um, While you pull that out, maybe I'll also have you stand and we'll read this together. I'll read it for you. I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, New International Version. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Chapter 29 kind of kicks off the sermon. I'll make a little couple passing references to that. But we get into verse 30, verse 1, and this is the word of the Lord. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, According to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it 
and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands and decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess This day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and apply it rightly this morning. You may be seated. The people of God were being invited to live the good life. What is the good life? How do I get it? So what is the good life? Chapter 30, as, as I mentioned, kind of opens partway. Chapter 29 introduces this, this, the, 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 this sermon, um, recaps a little bit of what we've already covered um, but you may have noticed that at the beginning of chapter 30, there's actually this assumption that, uh, of failure. Like there's this assumption that the people are going to have struggle to do what God had called them to do, and that Moses is recognizing it. Um, uh, he says, when all these blessings, verse 4, uh, um, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come, is verse 1, I'm sorry, when all these blessings and curses come I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart whatever, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. Um, you see, Moses knew that they would struggle to live out the law. The, 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 the most uh, concise summary of the law being the Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. So, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elechenu. Okay, hear, O Israel. That's where the Shema comes from. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then the Ten Commandments um, kind of flow out of this idea. Um, Central to this command is love the Lord, those first three commandments, and love your neighbor as yourself, the next seven, which which are concerned about how we interact with one another. Then people would struggle to live this out consistently. But what Moses is telling us here is that God's love was going to be persistent even in the face of the inconsistency of the children of Israel, the first people of God. He says in verse 3, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. There's, there's There's this evidence, this expectation of the persistent love of God. We say, well, what does it mean to live in the blessing of God? There's one of the meanings right there. There is a persistence to his love. 
There's a, a, a constant coming after those who have, have been called by his name. Living the good life in the land of promise wasn't just knowing that God was for us when we obeyed. It also meant knowing that God is compassionate when we screw up. Now, the costs of our mistakes may still be substantial, but they do not have to be terminal. The costs of our mistakes may be substantial, but they don't have to be the end of the story. The persistent love of God for his people. I mean, that's been a theme that Moses has been talking about through all three of these sermons in the book of Deuteronomy. You go back to chapter 4, verse 31. He says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. And Moses prophesies that he prophesies here that God's, God's ultimate intent, through his, the persistence of his love with those who struggle to be consistent, his ultimate intent is that he would, give, he would give us a new heart. Living the good life was to live in the persistent love of God. It was also to live with the, with the promise of a new heart, a promise of a new enablement that God would give us to walk in his ways. The fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, it was tragic and it was terminal. It brought death to humanity. The rupture of the relationship with God left the muscles of our hearts fatally compromised. But, but, but Moses promised, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Now, when the, when the writers of Scripture talk about the heart, they're not talking so much about the physical muscle in your body that pumps blood through your physical body. I mean, they're referencing it, but they're doing so metaphorically to talk about the spiritual heart of the human being, which pumps spiritual life and vitality through every aspect of his body, soul, and spirit. Your heart is the center of your being, is in the minds of the biblical writers. It's the source of your internal life and vitality. For the writers of the Old Testament, the heart is the primary organ of the understanding and the will. Corrupted hearts lost their ability to think accurately, to understand. Corrupted hearts have lost their ability to see clearly, to, to will God in a godly direction. And the fall of humanity separated us from God, after which we, we, we descended into a fog of not being able to see, a haze of not being able to think clearly. And, and in the fog, we bump into one another and, and we bump into God. And it causes all kinds of collateral damage. The idea of, of a circumcised heart is this idea of a, of a new heart that, that, that other writers in Scripture are going are to pick up on. 
is the idea of the entire person being given over to love and serve God. The entire person being given over to, to respond to him. And so the prophet Jeremiah, speaking centuries later on behalf of God, listen to the compassionate love in the voice of God. You can hear his joyful anticipation. Here's what he says, Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. Jeremiah was prophesying in a day when what Moses anticipated came to be. When Moses says, I know this is going to be, this is going to be difficult, the day is going to come, God's going to call you back, Jeremiah was living it. Horrid, horrid period of history to have had to live. When the nations were coming against Judah and it was being destroyed and taking off into captivity, um, unspeakable uh, destruction um, in that period of history. But Jeremiah is looking forward to when God would be faithful to what Moses has been describing in, in Deuteronomy 30 when he would call his people back. And here's what Jeremiah says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Prophet Joel, he pleaded with the nation of Israel to return to the Lord with all your hearts. He's referencing Deuteronomy 30, Joel chapter 2. Jesus was concerned about the heart too. Maybe you recall some of the words, some of the language that Jesus would use when he would speak about the human heart. He would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus would say, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Apostle Peter, one who'd walked with Jesus, um, uh, part of the sort of inner core of three, on the day of Pentecost, uh, so, so this was uh, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, um, had ascended back to the Father, had promised that the Holy Spirit would be given enabling this new heart condition that the Old Testament writers had anticipated, this was the day the church technically was born, the day of Pentecost, um, the, the, the day when the new covenant people were really kind of established, were sealed, were, began to be lived out. I want to be careful of the, the language that I'm using here. I mean, it was the work of Christ that made it possible. It was anticipated, but now the, church, now the church truly became the church. In fact, there would be many historians who would say the most significant date on the Christian calendar should be the day of Pentecost because that was really the day that we were enabled to be new covenant people. Anyway, day of Pentecost, Peter preaching to the crowds that had gathered So this is it. This is what Joel looked forward to. This is what they longed for. And because of God's persistent love and this present promise of a new heart that would enable us to be those who would follow him persistently and consistently, we see a new demonstration of the love of God to the people of God in response to the needs that each and every one of us have experienced. And so I'm going to kind of pose three questions to us this morning, and this would be the first one. What, what, is, what is the orientation of your heart? What is, what is the direction of your heart this morning? God wants to give you uh, a heart with eyes to see him, a heart with ears that would hear his voice. 
a couple of Sundays ago, uh, as we were preparing to baptize the five people that we baptized uh, Sunday, July 29. Um, uh, one, I, I mean, I love the stories that everybody told, but the one that kind of relates to the, the, the point that I'm making here, uh, Patricia Wark shared uh, a little bit of her journey and, and described the situation where she, 18 months or so previous, a year ago January, stood on the porch of her house crying out to God for understanding and for encounter, for real. And, and then 18 months of, of God showing himself to her inviting her. he wants to invite you to have a new heart too what's the orientation what's the orientation of your heart um, to, to live the good life is to experience the persistence of the love of god that is blessing it's to it's to experience the promise of being made new that's exciting and so we say well if this is the good life how do we experience that? How do we enter into that? Listen to Moses' encouragement, and it's a very real encouragement, verse 14 and 16 of chapter 30. He says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Now, just a couple of verses earlier, in verse 11, he says, what, I command, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Now, most of us hit pause right at that sentence and say, what is he talking about? Like, not too difficult? Has he lived anything of life at, like, who actually has done this? I mean, who, anybody here perfectly obeyed God? Don't put your hand up. Trick, trick question, okay? <laughs> Any, I haven't. In fact, you hear the question, you say, well, anyone here want to live the good life? And we all say, yeah, absolutely. Pick me. Okay, all you need to do is obey. But I've already not obeyed. What do I do about that? And I know tomorrow I'll do something. Again, and we say, now Paul, the Apostle Paul, empathizes with us in this point. Paul writes, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he says, What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And Paul could look back at the one Moses and Jeremiah and Joel anticipated would be the, the giver of new hearts, the one who would come in, in, in response to the persistent love of God, and he would look at Jesus and he would say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He has made this not only a not a desperate situation, he has made it a hope-filled blessed situation we we through the work of jesus have become the new people of god with all the rights and privileges and blessings attached thereto moses moses calls us calls the people of god the first people of god we can listen on and say yes lord he calls for a choice verse 19 this day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life 
so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Next Sunday we're going to talk about how, how do we pass this blessing on to the gener next generation. What does it mean to bless the next generation? What does it mean to bless our children? He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua, under study to Moses, um, would take over the reins as Moses would not enter the promised land. Joshua would. Shortly thereafter, Joshua says, Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Jesus, Jesus, Colleen read it earlier in her call to worship. You did not choose me. The words of Jesus, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says, you can because I have. This is now possible for you in me because all the Father now sees is me and my work. And so my perfection has been given to you. We say, that's persistent love. That is extraordinary hope. New heart given to me by Jesus. Circumcised, committed to him. Jesus' disciple Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he wrote, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter's talking about us as Gentiles who were welcomed into the covenant of the Lord as the new covenant people of God. First covenant, new covenant, all come in through Jesus. You are chosen and you are loved. And God calls you in return to choose him and to love him. I have three concluding questions here. One I've already asked. What is the orientation of your heart? Are you, are you oriented toward Jesus? Are you facing Jesus? Or, or, or are you running from him? He's calling you. Will, will you call back? Call back with a yes, Jesus. Come live in, in, in the people of God. In the statistically observable, national, uh, nationally evidence. I didn't say that right in the statistically observable, nationally evident prosperity that is his persistent love, is his promise of a new heart, is his determination through you to work his purposes and to provide according to, to every one of your needs, fulfilling, fulfilling your assignments. What's the orientation of your heart? Here's a second question. Uh, what is your life speaking? 
What's your life speaking? Now, now here's what I mean uh, by this question. Um, some, of, some of us come, um, we sing songs about our love for Jesus. Um, maybe listen to scripture and say, yes, yes, that's what I want. And, and, and would say something like this, I love Jesus, but... Um, I love Jesus, but, and, and some of us have a whole bunch of buts going on. Maybe it's for you, it's just one big but, but, <laughs> but, 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 I love, so a fundamental concern that Moses has had for the first people of God through the book of Deuteronomy has been a warning against worshiping other gods, and that's what your butt is. It's another God. It's an idol that gets in the way of worshiping Jesus. I love Jesus. See, worshiping other gods was, was, was the disobedience that he was warning about. It was the going after other gods. That's what disobedience to God is. And so when we say, I love Jesus, but, um, I, you know, I want the blessings of Jesus. Um, I love Jesus, but I will, I will lie, I will cheat. Um, I will steal to get what I want rather than waiting for his provision. Because I'm going I'm to find a way myself to do it. This becomes an idol, becomes a god. It's the materialism of our age. I end up serving another god but by betraying the one I say I love. Let me just paint that again one more time for you to make sure you got it. You say you love and trust Jesus, but you're going to find your own way to be your own provider. Okay? Um, I, I want to live in the blessing of God, the, the measurable and disproportionate favor of God. That's what I want to live, but I'm going to find my own way into doing it. Um, when you use illegitimate means, When you do what God has said not to do, in order to get these things yourself, you're going after other gods. I love God, but. I love Jesus, but. These things become an idol in your life. You need to repent. I'm seeing it, Lord. I'm confessing it. I'm agreeing with you concerning this idol. And I want to walk in a new way. I want to repent. Many people in our society live serving the God of materialism. That's where their hope lies. I love Jesus, but I'm going after these things. Um, sex is another very common idol in our world, in our society. I love Jesus, but oh, I want him. I want her affection. I want his affirmation. If only he would love me. I love Jesus, but... And so rather than reserving sexual intimacy for marriage, I will give it expression now because that's what I want. And friends, it becomes an idol. It becomes something that's displacing the priority of God in my life. It's not hopeless. We confess and we repent. We begin walking in a new way. What's your, what's your life speaking, friends? What's the testimony that's evident? Here's the third question. What decision will you make today? 
This is an extraordinary thing. I don't think I've really had much chance to talk about this as we worked through these three sermons of, of Moses. But there's a turn of phrase that gets used consistently, like repeatedly, through this, this book. And it's the word today. It's the word today. Like there's these extraordinary things that go on where... Um, Often Moses is speaking to the current generation, these children on the plains of Moab in anticipation of going into the promised land, but he speaks to them as though they were present the generation before when they stood, when their parents stood at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and received the Ten Commandments, and he, he speaks to the current generation today. He even does it when he's referring to uh, like a hundred or a couple hundred years prior, several hundred years prior, when, when God first made the covenant relationship with Abraham. He describes them as having been present. And the the inference that we're to draw from this is is that the the serving God peace is not a one and done thing. It's a today thing. It's it's, it's today I choose Jesus. It's, It's a constant reaffirmation of the covenant commitment that we've entered into in order to continue to sustain it, in order to walk in agreement with that which we have, we have entered into. What decision would you make today? Maybe the decisions yesterday were a disaster. Make a new one today. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity today. Choose who you will serve. Let me make this just practical suggestion. This is... This is not law. This is just perhaps a way you could live this out. Every morning, take up something like the words of Joshua. Maybe it's even before you crawl out of bed. These are the words. Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me... And my household, we will serve the Lord. Friends, I want to live the good life. Like more than anything, I want to live, I want to live the good life. I, I, I want to walk with Jesus, walk in agreement with God through the power of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Living in this persistent love Experiencing the reality of a new heart, living now this side of the cross as this new people, people who weren't a nation, now are a nation, this new people of God, living the blessed life as the people of God. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is where I want to live. And this is how I want to walk. And so today, I say yes. What about you? What about you? I'm going to invite um, Bill and Colleen and the team to come. They're going to lead us. They're just going to give you some songs to invite you to kind of think. Invite you to maybe to speak to God through these lyrics. And perhaps in this, uh, you and he would have meaningful dialogue concerning your next steps with him. 
Let's stand together. I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we would get this totally wrong if somehow we thought that in our own strength, with just a little more resolve, with just a little more hard work, with just a, a little more discipline, that somehow we would get this right and we would be able to please you. It's only going to be possible through your work, Lord Jesus. But there is one who has gone before us. And we would be desperate with the Apostle Paul saying, what a wretched man am I, but Jesus. And we say, thank you. Would you visit us in your persistent love and call us to respond to you and to just live today. Just to live today with our yes to you, O God.